your Bibles this morning to the ninth chapter of Matthew. Matthew chapter 9. And I'm going to read it and pray because I have prayed much over this text this morning. I'd ask you to stand with me as God's Word is read. John 9, verses 35 through 38. This is God's Word. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Father, I beg you this morning to send out laborers from Trinity Community into the harvest. Lord, I pray simply that you bless us Break us and distribute us to hungry multitudes. In Jesus' name, amen. Stephen Covey, who is familiar to many of you, authored several books. I think his most popular was Seven Habits of Highly Effective People tells a story. I shared it years ago at Trinity. You might recall it. This story illustrates how discerning where people are at really makes a difference in how we view them. He tells the story of sitting quietly in a New York subway car when the door suddenly opens and a man with several small children comes into the car and shortly those kids throw the car into total chaos. And the father, rather than dealing with his children, just sat there with his eyes closed as the kids reduced the subway car, the quiet subway car, into utter chaos. Finally, when Covey could take it no more, he, opened his, he looked at the father and confronted him about the lack of discipline of his children. Sir, he said, don't you know that your children are turning this quiet subway commute into utter chaos? The father opened his eyes, and here's what he said. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. I guess I should do something about it. But you see, we just came from the hospital where their mother died an hour ago. And I don't know what to think, and I guess they don't know how to handle it either. Gulp. The moral of that story is compassion begins when we begin to understand and feel the hurts of others deep in our own hearts. How many have discovered it's so easy to judge people without feeling what they are feeling and knowing what they are dealing with? 
And we are in this morning the final installment of a four-part series through the month of July called Hands and Feet, Advancing the Kingdom Right Where You Are. And this morning I've entitled this short sharing, which will be followed by Kevin Cunningham being interviewed, In the Gut. Now if you know Matthew's Gospel, you know that this is the second time that Matthew gives us a summary statement of the Galilean campaign of the Lord Jesus. He did it previously in chapter 4, just before the Sermon on the Mount. Here in chapter 9, though, Matthew goes further than he did in chapter 4 in telling us not only what Jesus did, but more importantly, the why of what Jesus did. He tells us that Jesus went around healing people, casting out demons, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom because of a powerful force in his gut, which Matthew identifies as compassion. This powerful love of God in action, for that is what compassion is, the love of God in action explains all that Jesus said and did. And folks, it is only when that compassion is what is motivating us will we ever be able to be involved in doing the things that Jesus himself did and called us to do. Now, there are three things that Matthew tells us about Jesus' ministry. He tells us what Jesus did in verse 35. He tells us why Jesus did what he did in verse 36. And then in verse 37 and 38, he tells us how Jesus intended for his ministry to continue after his departure. Let's start at verse 35, what he did. You might say this is his method. And it's very simple. Simply stated, Jesus went where people were. He didn't wait for them to come to him. He went to them. He went to small hamlets. He went to towns. He went to large cities. Simply spoken, Jesus' ministry was people-centered. He didn't come to uphold a religious system, but to bring life to people. And he dealt with people as they were. Men and women created in the image and likeness of God. Jesus, who would one day say to his disciples upon graduation, go into all the world, himself went into all the world. Secondly, Matthew tells us why he did what he did. By telling us what Jesus felt as he went about his mission. And the entire reason for salvation is found in this statement. There is no need that God should save anyone except that he has chosen to have compassion on them. He told Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But notice what Matthew tells us, this important detail, that it's how Jesus saw people that moved or kindled his inner 
love for men and women. It's how he saw the crowds that allowed him to feel the way he did about them. Matthew says in the ESV, he saw them as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And the Greek words there, harassed and helpless, are graphic and violent. You could read it as the Amplified does. He saw them as distressed, fleeced, scattered, flung, tossed by violence. All of these terms, by the way, are terms describing human lostness. The condition of our fallenness. Because of our fallenness, we are harassed, distressed, fleeced, scattered, flung, tossed by violence. Not to mention, messed around with by false shepherds. All of these are terms of human depravity. Is that the way we look at men and women today as we view them in the marketplace and at work? Is that the way you and I presently look at our neighbors? Our theology should inform our emotions. It should kindle in us care. And it's so easy in a culture like ours, where everyone has food and a house and a decent car, to see people from an economic standpoint or a social standpoint or a political viewpoint. Instead of seeing them as Jesus did, in relation to God, broken, disheveled, shamed, cast down because of sin and man's enemy, Satan. Jesus saw them in their lostness, and because he saw them in lostness, it produced a certain feeling, the most powerful feeling in the universe, compassion. Now, it's been described, compassion, as feeling others hurt in your heart. But I think by understanding something about the Greek term here, you can grasp the meaning of it. Because really, the Greek word here, it's one of my favorite words. Well, the word is a derivative of my favorite Greek word, and I know very little Greek words. I wish all words were Hebrew. But the Greek word is splunkna. Isn't that delicious? Is it up on the screen? There it is. Splunkna. And it's literally your gut, your bowels. According to Scripture, this is the seed of love. Remember Jesus said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. When we talk about in the West, when we talk about loving someone, we say, I love you. Can you imagine getting a Hallmark card that said, I just want you to know I love you with all my bowels. <laughs> Someone would be grieved by that. But according to the Bible, that's the seat of emotion. And you actually understand that. How many have ever said something like, when I heard the news, it just hit me in the gut? That's where you felt it. And according to Scripture, it's both the place of pain and the place of love. That's why I think we could define splunkna this way, the pain 
of love. I love so much, I am pained in my gut. And that's what Matthew says motivated Jesus to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, preach the gospel, and give himself unhesitatingly to the care of people. In his gut, he carried their lostness and was pained about it. And guess what? It's only when we, the church, begin to feel this pain deeply for others in our gut that we are apt to go to them and bring them news of a shepherd who loves them even at the peril of death. We can try all kinds of evangelistic techniques and gimmicks, and God knows they've been tried, but they won't work until we are willing to feel what He felt for lostness and for the people made in God's image who've been so distorted. I would tell you that the key to evangelism in this hour, as it has always been, is splantna. It's needed in this hour more than any. And finally, Jesus tells us how He intended for His ministry to continue. His method, what He did, His motive, why He did, and now the means of extending His ministry. He turns to the disciples now in the face of describing the pain of love, the splunkna that motivate Him, and now He tells them of His plan for His work to continue in the earth through His intended means, the church. He makes a sad but very poignant statement. I want you to hear it with virgin ears this morning because we've been praying amiss. In fact, I came to this word that I'm about to share with you when I was attending years ago a revival prayer meeting. And for the life of me, I can't remember where it was, but we were praying regularly, meeting for revival. And most of the time, we were crying out for harvest. And in one of those meetings, my Bible fell open. I was not thinking of this verse. It fell open as, we, as men and women were crying out for harvest, and my eyes fell on verse 37. And he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, you're praying amiss. I never told you to pray for harvest. I told you to beg me to send out workers. What was Jesus' plan for the continuance of his work in the earth? People with splunkna being sent on mission. But let me ask it in a more poignant way to really make you uncomfortable this more because you know what preaching is. It's comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comforted. Comfortable. Here's the question. It begs an answer. Why do so many believers, after many years of being in Christ, lose their hold and wonder on the gospel so as no longer to share it? Why do we stop caring? We talk about we're growing in Christ, but we stop caring. We're not on mission. And I believe... There is an answer. 
And the answer is not for me or any other elder to stand up here week after week and guilt you into evangelism. I've been there, done that, have the t-shirt. My first church, my pastor was so frustrated with the lack of evangelism, he made everybody take a vow that you will witness to three people a day. And I'll never forget it. I was sitting at a restaurant at quarter to midnight when Danny, an ex-biker in our church, came in with a pained look. And I said, Danny, sit down and have a cup of coffee. He said, I can't. I need one more. He had 15 minutes before the day ended. That is not... I repeat, that is not the way to get people to become laborers of the harvest. Laborers are not people who've been guilted into mission or who carry a low-grade fever about it. Rather, they are people, listen to me, who are so overwhelmed by the mercy they have received in the gospel that now, as a kind of inherent law of their soul, they share it with others. So I'm going to stop there, and I want to close in a minute after our interview by coming back up and just sharing one short parable that Jesus told. It'll take five minutes that I believe is the key to continuing to have the heart of Splankna for the lost.